Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. to another episode of the Roto World Football Podcast. My name is Josh Norris, and this, this is the most important podcast in the universe because you make it so. Ladies and gentlemen, it is NFL Combine Week. It's one of the tentpole events, weeks of the NFL calendar, and so thank you for choosing to spend your time with us. Later on, I'll have Evan Silva, you all know him, you all love him, to talk about five running back prospects. Um, I'll name them right now. So, I mean, if you want to watch them before going to this, or at least look at highlight films, you can. It's Josh Jacobs out of Alabama, David Montgomery out of Iowa State, Devin Singletary, FAU, Divine Ozigbo out of Nebraska, and Miles Sanders out of Penn State. It's a great conversation. Goes about 50 minutes long, so be sure to stay tuned for that. But first, I have a few housekeeping things to hit before we get to Evan. One Thank you so much for rating and reviewing the podcast. I'm going to give a few shout outs. Steve Urkel to you, Kings to you, Robberly, Hung Hugh Lee Nguyen, and Justin O'Bara. Thank you, thank you, thank you for leaving some reviews. Um, and I already pointed this out, but I will be posting a podcast every single night recapping what went on from combine activities. You know, there's news, there's quotes from GMs and head coaches, and obviously there's athletic testing once that starts up on Friday on the field. Kind of spinning it forward, trying to decipher what matters to you and what doesn't. And speaking of that, I do want to point you to my NFL combine preview, which is on Roto World right now. Um, It talks about offensive line short shuttles and this great predictor that I seem to have uncovered, plus composite scores and why we want to look at those rather than singular athletic tests, so on and so forth. Go and check that out up on Roto World. Again, if you enjoy this podcast for any moment, please hit that subscribe button. You won't want to miss what we have going for the next week. All right, without further ado, here is Evan Silva. I started the conversation off kind of how I included in the last podcast with Sigmund Bloom, just on Evan's thoughts about acquiring running backs both early on in the draft and just kind of their their point and their role in helping teams win football games. We can talk about how the the great replaceability of running backs and how you should try to not make running back, you know, one of the highest uh, highest paid positions on your roster. I think that all those I think that those things are, are absolutely true. But you also want to have good players. You know, if you're a team like the Patriots, who I think are the kind of shining example of, hey, they used a, a very late first round pick on Sony Michelle. And he absolutely played a big role in their success down the stretch. Now, you have to understand that Sony Michelle was dropped into one of the best possible situations. I mean, that offensive line for the Patriots didn't get enough credit for how great it was this year. Top five in pass blocking metrics, top five in run blocking metrics. And of course, you know, playing in the, in the same backfield as Tom Brady and James Devlin and their ability to win in two tight end sets. You know, he was in one of the most optimal running environments, but he also added a lot of yards to a lot of plays. And um, he was really effective down near the goal line. He never really got super involved in the passing game. But, you know, they are one of these teams that can get away with using role specific members of their backfield, you know, because they have James White and they have the, the combo back in, in, in Rex Burkhead. And they because they're, they're going to have a good offense either way, 
They can set the tone with their running game. And it, it didn't inhibit their offense to have a player out there in Sony Michelle who kind of telegraphed to the defense the fact that a run play was coming. It didn't hurt them as much as it would, you know, a team that isn't as good. Like Sony Michelle would not have been a good addition for a bad team that didn't have, um, you know, a quality running game or a quality like running game unit, quality uh, run blocking. Yeah. So at the end of the day, like we, we need to talk about things on, on a team by team basis. Um, I do think that the Patriots might have more more so maximized their value, the value of that draft pick by taking like Harold Landry, you know, at that. Um, I think it was the 31st overall pick where they got it was. Michelle, especially once you start to get into that range where you're not paying you know, they're running back a top five salary as soon as he jumps into the league, you know, and you can drop him into a really good situation and he can continue to further that situation uh, based on his own ability to add yards to runs. Um, I think that it it wound up being a fine pick. I think that if they wouldn't have taken Sony Michelle, they also would have been in a pretty fine spot, um, you know, assuming that Rex Burkett had stayed healthier or, you know, they, they probably would have been able to find a pretty good back off the street. I mean, you remember Cordero Patterson um, had like performed spot action where he was, uh, you know, their, their lead running back in certain games. They had a lot of success with him yeah. in that role uh, at times. So I think that they would have been fine without him. And I think that they could have better maximized the value of the pick. But, you know, it, it's it's hard to after they win the Super Bowl, sit here and knock them. And again, that salary at the number 31 overall pick and, you know, the, all the, the cap commitments to that. I think that it makes a lot more sense than a, either a bad team taking him in that position or, you know, especially a bad team taking a running back like early in the draft. And I do want to get to these prospects in a little bit. But Evan, I do think this is, you know, an important conversation to have as we enter free agent season and draft season. Because, you know, we've talked about backs in the top 10. We've talked about backs in the first round. And as you mentioned, as we talked about with Sig uh, earlier this week, the conversations are drastically different. But I do want to say, like, there are some very smart voices out there outside of the NFL that can make a very strong case to not select running backs early and instead maybe double dip later on. But as you mentioned, Evan, like there, there are more than one way to build a team, you know, like we, we can't look and just say, okay, this is the only way to build a team, right? Like each one is its own different roster with different strengths, different weaknesses, and you can't pay every single position and invest in every single Mm -hmm. position the same. Would it be fair to, and as we get into this, like we're, we're not evaluating off a checklist here. Like you and I just don't do that. And that's one way to evaluate, but is it fair to maybe mention a few critical factors that we look for? Like to me, Evan, it's as simple as a running back that creates on their own, either out in space and most likely after contact. And that also is more than a zero in the passing game. You know, that is an asset in the passing game. And when we talk about the top 10 backs that were taken recently, that is Saquon Barkley, Ezekiel Elliott, Christian McCaffrey, Leonard Fournette, and Todd Gurley. And one of those is a zero in the passing game, and he's the one that is not successful in Leonard Fournette. Yeah, there's no question. I mean, and I think that, you know, going back to the Patriots, I think they just viewed Sony Michelle as adding a playmaker to their offense. They, they felt like they needed another playmaker. And, you know, they saw what he did at Georgia. He was a, a monster playmaker there. He averaged like seven or eight yards per carry in the SEC. I mean, he was a, he was a tremendous talent. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, the separator especially, I mean, if, you were, if you're going to use that high of a pick on a guy like Leonard Fournette, you want to make sure that he's going to contribute in the passing game. You have to be aware of, as, you know, the, as the league has evolved and as the league has implemented rule changes that – you know, make it easier on passing games, you have to kind of understand that you have to sort of start to move in that direction, you know, and look, teams can have success running the ball on a game to game basis, you know, in a specific situation in a certain game, you know, we, we, we know how important game script, just the flow of the game is to uh, supporting running game volume and things like that. But like just from a team building aspect, which is much different than just doing one game analysis from a team building aspect. 
I mean, I think you got to kind of roll with the punches that the league has dealt you and understand where the competitive advantages are. And drafting a two-down bruiser running back at number four overall, you know, is, is kind of something that could predictably backfire. Um, and then, you know, you, and then if you don't t- enough take into account that player's history of injuries, then he could turn out. I mean, Leonard Fournette right now, I think you would probably view him as a bust, unfortunately. Yeah. And I still really like him as a runner. Trust me. You know, I, he's a lot of fun to watch when he's healthy. But, man, he wasn't healthy his final year at LSU. Um, he was banged up quite a bit as a rookie, and this past season was pretty much washed out by injuries and uh, those sorts of things. So, unfortunately, he, he is he's a bust through two seasons. So, we say that all because, one, I want to revisit this question at the end of this conversation after we talk about these five running backs and see if any of them are possibly top ten worthy, first round worthy, or something like that. Not an official grade, but just if we consider them t- that type of playmaker. Um, but then also you're going to hear us talk about passing game usage a whole bunch. And just quickly to close out this point, like as soon as Saquon Barkley was drafted, he was, you know, a top five earner at the position. Leonard Fournette is a top seven earner heading into the 2019 season. And again, those were top 10 selections. Meanwhile, at pick number 31, uh, Sonny Michelle is now on track to make less than Damian Williams in 2019 and is 27th. So that, that that's the big difference. Like, First-run running backs are fine, but there's a major difference in taking, again, one top 10 and one at pick 31. Um, All right, Evan, I'm excited for this. I enjoy these conversations each and every year about these prospects, and I feel like it's very fitting that a train just passed as Mr. Josh Jacobs from Alabama is a player we're going to talk about first. Let me kind of set the scene here. As you know, Josh Jacobs was in a rotation at Alabama, He really didn't get a ton of work until his final two years. As a freshman, he had 85 carries. As a sophomore, he had 46 carries. And then this past season, he got bumped up to 120. Evan, he never crossed over 650 rushing yards in a single season during his time in Alabama. And has a total of 48 receptions. At 5'10", 216 though, Josh Jacobs is a ton of fun to watch at Alabama. What'd you think of him when you watched him? Yeah. And so to be, you know, perfectly transparent, like I don't know anything about college football right now. Nothing. I always spend February, March, April learning about what just happened in the college football season because, you know, of course I, I read about NFL. So I don't know anything. Um, yeah. I've, I've hardly even looked at any statistics really. Um, I've spent the last couple of weeks uh, writing and, and learning and watching uh, the AAF uh, so this is me really diving really hard all of a sudden into college football. And I believe that there's another running back in the same backfield by the name of Damian Harris, who uh, people think might be like a second or a day two pick mm-hmm. uh, with whom Josh Jacobs uh, shared time. Of course, Alabama always has multiple backs, you know, so that really should surprise no one. I think that we're evaluating Josh Jacobs almost strictly on his skill set and his skill set is, you know, as opposed to, uh, you know, spreadsheet production. And his skill set is really, really impressive. I mean, he is so physical in every aspect of the game. It, it extends to the way that he um, delivers hits and pass protection. I mean, this dude will knock you out mm-hmm. um, uh, in, in uh, pass blocking. He will square up and knock you out. Not like a cut blocker at all. He gets squared up. And I think the coaches are going to love that. Uh, in the NFL, and it's going to help his chances of of playing right away. Uh, I'm not exactly sure where he's going to go in the draft. Obviously, if yo, if he's like a top 15 pick, he's going to play right, right away, anyways. But you know, if he goes, uh, you know, later in the first round, whatever, or in the second round, uh, that wouldn't set him up to be an immediate contributor necessarily. But I do think that there are aspects of his game that are just going to get him there, anyways, and that's one of them. He's Fully north-south, not a dancing running back at all. We're going to get to Devin Singletary uh, later in the podcast, and he's much different from a stylistic standpoint. Josh Jacobs is balanced, uh, compact, extremely decisive, low center of gravity. I thought that at times he reminded me a little bit of Zeke Elliott. Okay, I kind of like that one. Another thing that stood out to me while watching him was that he was really good on kick returns, and Um, A lot of people in the analytics community have shown that 
skill position players that excel in the return game. Uh, and this should be kind of con- intuitive to us, but they're good in space and they have a little bit higher hit rate. So you like to see Josh Jacobs excelling in the kick return game, had a bunch of explosive kick returns in the games that I watched. I thought he was a natural in the open field. Uh, it helped uh, exhibit kind of uh, his, his vision and his awareness. I thought that as a runner, he showed power to push the pile. He, could, he Like he could make cuts without losing momentum. Which is massive. The more that I watched, the more that I kind of likened him to D'Angelo Williams late in his career with the Steelers. <laughs> They're built similarly, or at least I don't know. You know, we're not going to find out the official heights and weights until the combine. But Josh Jacobs, I think, listed at 5'9", 216. D'Angelo Williams, uh, 5'9", 214. And D'Angelo Williams, as he as he kind of matured as a runner, um, I thought that he became more of a downhill north-south guy and, you know, not as much of the, the shiftier speedster that he was early in his career. Yeah. And I thought that Josh Jacobs kind of reminded me of that somewhere, somewhere on that spectrum, somewhere between late career D'Angelo Williams with the Steelers. And I actually went b- back and watched uh, some. Look at you some clips of D'Angelo Williams just to make sure that this wasn't the, the most idiotic comparison ever. Um, <laughs> We've all been there, Evan. To, to me, to me, there's a major difference between like strength and power. Okay. Like mm-hmm. strength is something that like, if you're just a big, strong bag, it can come naturally. Right. Power is kind of like being a hammer. Okay. And I think mm-hmm. Josh Jacobs is a hammer. Yep. Now, that's not to say that he is, you know, just your straight line. If you bounce off me, you bounce off me. But he has that ability. While to me, Evan, he also showed the ability to go against the grain. He has that vision, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, to track those linebackers, to track those defenders as their angles are closing in on him at the second and the third level or even near the line of scrimmage. And he'll cut it the other way to pick up big gains. He has big playability at his size. And again, we don't know his size for sure, mm-hmm. but it certainly seems like he's going to hover around 5'10", 5'9", 215 pounds. Um, he wore number eight, Evan. I don't know if you went back and watched his early stuff, but he actually previously wore number 25. This is a really weird point to make, but do you ever catch yourself? I mean, even when I watched the same player and they wore different numbers, they look different. A little bit. Oh yeah, remember remember when Ronald Jones was Jamal Charles because he was <laughs> number twenty five. Uh, one more point to make, Evan. As I mentioned, he had two hundred and fifty one career carries at Alabama. Would you like to take a guess how many carries Derrick Henry had in his final season at Alabama? Oh, uh, upwards of four hundred. <laughs> he had three hundred and ninety five. Okay, yeah. Oh, and we need to talk about his passing down ability. Uh, He had 14 receptions in 2016, 14 receptions in 2017, and 20 receptions in 2018. 48 receptions, Evan, as we go through this class, that's actually going to seem like a lot. Oh, it's good. I think it's more than uh, Singletary had in his career, I think. Yeah, and I mean, you think of Ezekiel Elliott coming out of school, and he just caught, what, like 77 passes with the Cowboys this year. You know, the numbers pointed to him not having, you know, a real receiving skills at Ohio State, and he's one you always point to for that. But... When you watched, he actually was one of the best passing down backs we've seen coming out. And a major part of that, Evan, as we've seen, is pass pro. And I know our friend Rich Rebar doesn't like it when we point out pass protection. But if we try to, and this is a dangerous place to go, if we try to get into the minds of NFL decision makers, you're damn sure that they care about pass protection and picking up that extra blocker, or else you'll see Bill Belichick send an extra defender and not and force your running back to stay in instead of going as a receiver like he did with Marshall Falk. Yeah, and you know, this is a one-off example, but Kenyon Drake, if you studied his pass protection coming out of Alabama, it was problematic. He pass protected pretty well in 2017, but this past year he was an absolute train wreck and I mean, there was there was like a three or four game stretch where he gave up like six or seven sacks in pass protection. Yeah. And I think that went a long way toward explaining why Kenyon Drake was not utilized as much as, you know, a lot of us uh, wish that he would have been. And I'm sure the Dolphins fans wish that he would have been utilized more. So, look, you know, it's it's going to be a case by case basis, you know. Um, I understand where where Rich is coming from. You don't want to try to draw a straight line behind between a running back's 
pass protection and how good they're going to be in fantasy. But, I mean, you want to have as much knowledge about the player as you possibly can coming out of college. And we know that Josh Jacobs in a, a, a you know largely pro-style offense has shown uh, the ability to uh, be a, a quality pass protector at the highest level of college football. And I mean, that for me, that's a plus, you know, it, it's a, it's a cherry on top, yeah. but it's a plus. Um, and quickly, as we close out here with Josh Jacobs, I do think probably more than almost any other running back that I've watched, um, he was given, you know, the line of scrimmage more often, right? I mean, Alabama's offensive line is fantastic. That's one, he maximizes that, right? He picks up the yards blocked for him and he creates on his own on contact. And Evan, for his size, man, he creates on his own out in space. And he has that real acceleration, that straight line acceleration mm-hmm. to pick up chunk yards as well. Like, so we've kind of hit on every critical factor here with him. And a lot of it is a positive. Again, we'll get later on to maybe how we rank these guys, but like, there's a lot to love about Josh Jacobs, despite, again, the limited production when you look at market share and sample size and all that stuff with him at Alabama. Yeah, and then these next two backs that we're going to cover did not have the benefit of running behind an offensive line like that. I mean, they were at the opposite end of the spectrum. Yeah, and, and quickly, um, Josh Jacobs, if you need to go watch a receiver game, his game versus Mercer. Again, Mercer is one to watch. Uh, Evan, let's shift over to... David Montgomery, another big back uh, who's coming out of Iowa State, war number 32. Evan, he's listed at 5'11", 216. And we went from, you know, a small sample size to basically David Montgomery, who has carried the load in 2017 and 2018, had 258 Mm -hmm. and 257 carries in each of those seasons, and then 109 back in his freshman year. Um, This is in the Big 12 again. And if we look at his receiving skills, Evan, I mean, just from a production standpoint, 71 career receptions for David Montgomery. Uh, What did you see out of this Iowa State Cyclone? I just thought he was an easy evaluation. I'm surprised that he has not gotten more love uh, as maybe being the number one overall RB in the class. He clearly lacks breakaway speed. Okay, Mm -hmm. he's not going to run away from guys. I think that when he goes to the combine, he might be in the the four five five to four six range. If he gets into four seven, you know, then I think that that could really like send him into the third round. Right now, I think that he looked to me like like a second round player, uh, and he looked like maybe the highest floor back out of all the backs that I've watched so far. He, I think he can, he has the the potential to become a true every down back in the NFL. I thought that he combined like the cat quickness of a small back with a big back inside running mentality in the Texas game. You see a lot because they just got shelled. You see a lot of pass passing game exposures in that game. Lots of pass blocking where he's squaring up and taking on dudes He'll go chip a guy and then run a route after afterwards. Uh, you saw him run some wide receiver routes in that game. He took shovel passes. He took screens. I, I was impressed by his like ability to stop and start on a dime for how big he is. Uh, in uh, against Iowa, he showed some ability to move the power, move the pile just with with sheer like leg drive and power. Um, and I thought that at the end of the day, he was good at everything. I think that the reason that he is not viewed in the same conversation as Josh Jacobs is because he might not be great at anything. And I think he lacks that big play upside that you look for, yeah. you know, yeah. and, and those are the plays that can be important. Um, and those are the plays that can really stand out when watching running back prospects, especially at the college level. Um, Evan, again, he's five eleven two sixteen, And for that size, I mean, that's a big back. For that size, he has at least two or three exposures per game where it's like some incredibly nimble footwork, you know, like a maybe a DB is diving for his feet. And instead of, you know, typical backs at that size, lowering their shoulder and trying to run them over, he'll hurdle them or he'll toe tap and and jump Mm -hmm. over them and leap over them. And he'll just continue back up. I don't think he has like that easy pick up five yards and two or three steps acceleration like Mm -hmm. some of the other backs on this list and so with that nimble footwork to me he can kind of get a little stuck in the mud afterwards a little bit and you have to understand too that he was running but i think the offensive line was trash yeah no it was and and you'll have you'll have graham graham barfield on later and he does a great job of assessing offensive line play you know and adjusting for that but just off of 
watching four games of Iowa of Iowa State, I thought that their offensive line was real, real bad. Yep, and we'll get to another yeah. back that has that same issue. But and this is going to sound harsh, Evan. I do really like David Montgomery, but I I thought there were a handful of times like he looked downright slow. That that's not you know a common thing for him. Like it, it's just every once in a while when he was trying to get to the corner. It seemed mm-hmm. like it took him a while to get to that five to seven mm-hmm. yard mark, and those def- defenders were, were closing a lot quicker. Um, just to play devil's advocate here, I don't believe this necessarily, Evan, but do you think that we could have any David Cobb syndrome here with, De- with David Montgomery? Um, that is interesting. I, I think that he's more athletic then we, we might be giving him credit for here. I, I will agree that we, I saw him get caught from behind a lot. I yeah. mean, a bunch of times. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see what he runs. And I think that David Cobb was just like a grinder. Yeah. And I think that David Montgomery is more than a grinder. I think that he can make guys miss. I think that he does have plus tackle-breaking ability. And I think he's a lot better in the passing game than David Cobb was coming out of Minnesota. I think that you might have said with David Cobb, he's competent in the passing game. I think that David Montgomery is good in the passing game. Nice. Um, I I agree with a lot of that. And I I totally agree that he can create in his own with footwork and obviously winning on contact. Um, I'm not going to say that this is the case. I could see someone maybe throwing out a Kareem Hunt comparison here. And again, we'll get Graham on this podcast later on in the draft process who loved Kareem Hunt as a bat coming out of of Toledo because of his tackle breaking ability and then on contact running. I think he like broke the system basically. I don't know if David Montgomery is going to do the same thing, but again, the ability to win on contact and like Evan, there were plenty of times where a lesser back would have taken a two yard loss on plays. And instead David Montgomery turned it into a three yard gain. And that's Mm -hmm. a major difference of five yards. You know, that's the difference between second and seven and second and 12. That's a very, very useful skill um, in the NFL. But I, again, I think we agree that those long, big play gains just n- probably aren't part of his repertoire, but we'll maybe find out more with his athletic profile as well, even if athletic profiles don't mean everything or maybe anything for running backs. I want to stop the podcast right here just for a moment to say thank you for all of our subscribers. You're basically sponsoring the show. If you are enjoying this episode at all, be sure to hit that subscribe button and leave a rating review. It helps us out along the way, reach new people. The more, the merrier, I guess. All right, back to the conversation. Evan, let's get into another fun prospect here. Devin Singletary, were you, and I know you're on Twitter a lot, obviously, and I don't know if you've seen Devin Singletary's name floated around, but when I sent you like the first list of five names that we were going to talk about this draft season and a running back from FAU that was a junior that declared early. Were you a little bit surprised? <laughs> no. Okay. No. Okay. Because you have your finger on the pulse of what's going on with the NFL draft, and I'm clueless. I'm just like, all right, send me some guys. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. And, and let me let me paint the picture here for Devin Singletary again. Out of FAU, three-year starter, basically, has 714 rushing attempts under his belt, 152, 2016, 301 in 2017 and 261 in 2018. His receiving role actually decreased, and it's kind of when Lane Kiffin joined the team in some ways. Uh, 26 mm-hmm. receptions as a freshman, and that dropped all the way down to six receptions this past year. Just one touchdown in the receiving game, 51 total receptions. Evan, he stands around 5'9, 200 pounds, but boy, oh boy, Evan, are there a lot of surprises up his sleeves. Yeah, he's easily the most east-west back that we have discussed so far. You know, I, I think that, and he's he's. Re- I, th- I thought that he was not necessarily like a bouncer. I didn't think that he was like a, a guy who bounces runs outside, which can be a natural tendency to backs that don't feel comfortable in trash in confined mm-hmm. space. Yeah, and I yo he had so many carries uh, in trash because of how. Ba- I, my guess, I, I didn't look at Florida Atlantic's record or anything like that, but my guess is that they were terrible. They, they were not good this year. They went 5-7 and seven this year. So I thought that the quarterback play was terrible. Uh, yeah, the offensive was line so play, <laughs> The offensive line play was worse. Yeah. Um, he was the offense. Yeah, he, he was the entire offense. In the game against Oklahoma, it was just like, 
it was, you know, it was like an NFL team playing against a Pee Wee team. He, yeah, but going back to the fact that, like, all right, he's he's East West, but he can make guys miss, of course. And I think he knows when to get vertical, when to get downhill, and um, he does have a kind of natural feel of just like running back decision making, as I think Matt Waldman talks a lot about. Uh, decision making like we talk about decision making for quarterbacks all the time but we never really talk about decision making for running backs I thought that he was a pretty good decision maker uh, and he he had to he had to make a lot of decisions behind the line of scrimmage because on so many of his carries there was a guy in his face or multiple guys in his face and so he had to be a good decision maker um, the the passing game concerns I, I think that that's my biggest issue with I I didn't think he was quite, and I know that the the common comparison is LaShawn McCoy. I did not think that he was quite as laterally explosive as LaShawn McCoy. I thought he was a little bit more physical than LaShawn McCoy. Not a power back, but he ran hard consistently. Um, definitely did not you know shy away from contact or anything like that. I have questions about him in the passing game. Those six catches last year, man. Yeah. Can I throw another comparison at you and see yeah. if this floats your boat at all? Frank Gore. Wow. Evan, when I watch Devin Singletary, my heart flutters a little bit, okay? Okay. There, there is something to me about smaller backs that if you just saw them standing on the field, you think that they are airbacks, okay? Mm-hmm. But then when these smaller quote-unquote backs go out there and also win on contact, that's, that's my bias, man. That's what I love. You talked about how bad the blocking was, and it was atrocious, but – he was kind of honestly able to do exactly what David Montgomery did in terms of make that first tackler miss and pick up positive yards. And in fact, he has a different ability than David Montgomery who kind of you know would bounce off that first defender because it's such a quick penetration into the backfield that Montgomery was maybe able to pick up three yards on those. Singletary can take it for a 13-yard gain, you know? Like he has that ability to me, Evan, to create instant separation. Um, you go back and watch his mm-hmm. game against North Texas, okay? There are plenty of times where there is, and this is when plays are blocked well, and he it, it forces him to win a one-on-one matchup. He does it almost every single time. There's either a linebacker, safety, corner, because that's what the plays are to do, right? Designed to do is, is to make it a one-on-one matchup and ask your running back to win. And they're in the filling lane. He did this against Oklahoma too, man. And he he takes and he, he he presses that hole and in an instant he glides jump cuts laterally to the opposite hole and boom he's off to the races you know like his his ability to fluidly change lanes not you know out of indecision but it's decisively changed lanes cuz yeah. he knows that's where the space is man it makes me get going like i loved yeah. watching that from devin singletary um it's it's dreamy stuff I love it. I love it. One thing I did put in my notes was that he's going to be a guy who just looks way better when he goes to the NFL with an NFL quarterback in an offensive line. And that doesn't mean he needs to go to the Patriots. You know, he doesn't need to go play with a Hall of Fame quarterback or a great, you know, a top five offensive line. Just going from the, the, the bottom of the barrel in whatever conference they play in, Conference USA or whatever it is, to going to like a competent NFL team, like this guy could be, I mean, he could be a highlight real machine waiting to happen. Yeah. I mean, he, he really, I think he's going to, I think he's going to have an awesome combine. I, I hope so. And I haven't done the research on this. I know like it's a narrative that's always gets talked about Evan, but 714 carries is, is a lot. And I'm not someone, you know, that says, well, it definitely means he can't hold up in the NFL. Like, I think that's more of a topic that's well, what discussed. it means is that he's really good. And so the <laughs> yeah. coaches gave him the ball a lot, you know, so don't overthink that dude in 2017, he had 32 touchdowns rushing like 33 overall touchdowns on freaking FAU. You know, he plays bigger than his size. And when it's necessary and the opportunity is there for him to play like a smaller back and create big plays, he has that too. He's not someone that drifts out wide and wants to get to the corner every single time because that's where the space is. No, he will attack up the middle, attack those middle mm-hmm. middle lanes. And you you mentioned that game against Oklahoma. Like they kept him in and like when it was a blowout still. Oh yeah, he was still in there busting off runs. No and, and and he was the one creating them. 
I, I don't want to go too crazy here, Evan. Uh, I'll say it. Like, uh, there's a there's a chance that he's ultimately the best back in this class when we look back in two years. Like, Could that's, be. Yeah. I, I, Again, I don't think it's I think hyperbole that to say you, that. You have to understand what a swing it is going from a terrible college team yeah. to going to a competent NFL team. I mean, he, he absolutely could. He, he has like superstar athletic qualities, I yeah. think. And there is such a difference. And I know he can look small, especially after you watch like a Josh Jacobs or a David Montgomery. But there's such a difference in a player that his size, and we'll get his official measurements this week, than there is, you know, like a Tariq Cohen, you know? Like, I, I don't want to hear that comparison, even though he can create on his own somewhat similarly. But no, he, he has, if he hits that 200 weight mark, like, he, he can be a foundation back in the NFL, in my opinion. So there's a lot to like there. Uh, I guess I said on the list, Evan, we go to Miles Sanders. Evan, this is another interesting story here. Coming out of Penn State, uh, he's 5'11", 215, which kind of seems like a standard of this class. Um, we know he's the fill-in for Saquon Barkley. So we know that he didn't get starters uh, running reps in previous years. In fact, 25 carries in 2016, 31 carries in 2017 because Saquon was running the show. But then this past year, he racked up 220 carries to the tune of over 1,200 yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, Evan, he also had 24 receptions this year thanks to uh, check down Trace McSorley in some situations. Um, so that brings him to 32 total receptions again Evan this is a very interesting one we don't have multiple seasons of exposures here with Miles Sanders it's basically just one year Uh, what did you like out of the Penn State runner who I mean I'm not going to say we're going to compare him to Saquon Barkley here but he's basically running exactly out of the same offense yeah can't can't compare him to to Saquon Barkley I thought he was an explosive cutter um, I, I think that, you know, after watching several games of him, the best way I would, would describe him would be like he's a real scrappy back. Um, he I thought he ad, added consistently added yardage to runs. Um, he was another guy who really pressed the hole. He could be north south. He could be east west. Um, I thought he was really good in a lot of aspects. I thought he was good in pass protection. Um, and I actually did see a stat from Pro Football Focus College uh, that gave him one of the highest pass protection marks in this class. He had really uh, he had problems with ball security uh, repeatedly, yep. and I think that that is a little bit of a red flag on him. Although that can be corrected, you remember Sony Michelle um, had a really high fumble rate uh, in college, but yo he goes and he goes with, with Ivan Fears, the Patriots' longtime running backs coach, and you know I don't think he had a he had a fumble in the preseason, then I don't even think he had a, a fumble in the regular season that, that I can recall. Yeah, I thought that you know. Miles Sanders reminded me a little bit of Devonta Freeman. Hmm. Uh, but I think that when he goes to the combine, kind of like Devonta Freeman did, I'm not sure that he's going to test really well. Now, Penn State has had the best testers, I think, of any college uh, in yeah, the Yeah, something's going on in that weight room. Years. Something is going on there, but they have, just, you know, it's Chris Godwin and, of course, Saquon and uh, Troy Apke. You know, all, all these different guys from Penn State have just been testing off the Mike charts. Jasicki. Mike Jasicki. So maybe Miles Sanders will uh, surprise us with how well he tests at the Combine. But I thought that, uh, you know, because, like that was one of the reasons that I drew that comparison was because I thought that he's a better football player than he's going to be a tester. But, yeah. you know, we're going to find out over the next uh, week, couple weeks. I don't know what to think of Miles Sanders, Evan. And mm-hmm. I watched like four games of him. And that's not a good thing to me when I don't know what to think of him. Mm-hmm. I Okay, here's what stands out when I watch Sanders. When a defender is within tackling distance, okay? To me, like that's where he's most comfortable. Because mm-hmm. he loves like those little quick, short movements, either up or laterally to evade that one guy ahead of him. But I don't know if he has, like, the big picture run in mind. Do you know what I mean? I don't think he's looking at the whole defense. I think he's just focused on, like, that one dude and making him miss. And we see it often, Evan, like, when he's out in space picking up five yards and, like, there's one defender close to him and two defenders, like, right behind that guy. And his decision Mm -hmm. is to try to leap over that first defender. And then he gets, like, Javid bested up in the air. Yeah. You know? like True. I'm not going to like say that, okay, a guy's not supposed to hurdle because if I could hurdle, I'd hurdle everyone just down the street. But what I am going to say is like to me that that is just yearning for space, okay? 
It's it's not like keeping the whole big picture in mind of trying to pick up as many yards as possible. It's trying to beat the man in front of you. I also think, Evan, he drifts to the sideline a lot. A mm. lot. Like, And that's where he's most comfortable. You see a lot of runs where it's it's designed to go up the middle. That's where all his big runs happen, really. Yes, and it's yeah. like a string, like a magnet is pulling him to the sideline. I do think one-on-ones, he can absolutely win in space like you mentioned. Uh, getting him swing passes, screen passes, asking him to beat one guy in front of him, yes. But in terms of the entire structure of a run, I'm not sure if I saw it with him. From the first three that we talked about, there is just a massive gap with Miles Sanders next. And again, he's a talented player. But Evan, he honestly, and, and you might not agree with this, he reminded me a little bit of like a Charles Sims coming out of school a little bit. Ooh, well, that's not a great... Well, I, I'm, you but, said But it. I think that's where he's going to be... Dry. I think what was Charles Sims, like a third, fourth round pick? Devontae Freeman was a third, fourth round pick. I mean, yeah. I think that we kind of agree on the kind of spectrum that he is on. And at the end of the day, it, it could be, you know... Whether this this guy's success is you know comes down to whether he stays healthy, um, whether he goes to a team that you know can supply a, a, that puts him into a really positive running game infrastructure, you know playing on a productive offense. I mean, I think that I think that Charles Sims and Devontae Freeman were kind of on a similar spectrum, but clearly one went to a bet, much better infrastructure. One got hurt and went to a bad infrastructure. And, you know, that could kind of explain, at least partially explain. And I think that Devontae Freeman is a better player than Charles Sims, you know. But I think that that could, in large part, explain a big chunk of their success or, or, yeah. or lack thereof. And, and, you know, Devontae, like, holds a special place in my heart. So it's, like, tough sure. for me, too. Again, we talked about with Josh Jacobs, like, when he wins on contact, he's the hammer. I would say the same thing with David Montgomery. I would even say the same thing with Devin Singletary, who, you know, at times like the game slows down for him and he tries to use that offhand to push the defender away to create space um, while to pick up yards. For Miles Sanders, Evan, like I think he's kind of like slippery on contact, you know, like when someone hits him and he bounces off of it, it's not Mm -hmm. because he's the hammer. It's like because he moved over a yard. Yep. I'm not trying to crush the dude here. I'm just trying to put him in perspective. Charles Sims was like stiff. Yeah. Yeah. The the big comparison, by the way, for Charles Sims was Matt Forte back in the day. So. Yeah, that I remember that. that Charles Sims had an interesting uh, college career as well. So we'll close out here, Evan, with Divine O. Zigbo, who I believe is like 5'11", 215, 220. Uh, he was at the East-West Shrine Week, uh, war number 22. Started off kind of slow during his first two years. 38 rushes, then 97 and 15 and 16. And then started being a little bit more active in the offense. 129 carries in 2017, 155 carries in 2018. That 2018 season, Evan, is when Scott Frost came in, and he basically doubled his rushing totals despite being close in the amount of carries. Um, 49 receptions in his four years, and again, he's the only four-year player we're talking about. The reason, Evan, I wanted to talk about him, he's not even at the combine, okay? But... When I go through this draft process, a lot of it, the cramming starts right around Christmas time for me. And I go through every player in the Shrine roster, every player in the Senior Bowl. And specifically with the Shrine, I want to recognize and identify the 10 to 15 to 20 prospects at that event that really stand out. Okay, And all the running backs of these All-Star games kind of sucked, just to be honest. And then when I watched Divine Ozikbo play, Evan, my, my, my heart skipped a little beat. Okay. So don't crush my dreams here, but tell me what you thought, because I'm sure you went into this one without any recollection of who Divino Zigbo is. Well, I just saw you tweeting about him every day. Oh, well, I apologize. He's going to be in this podcast <laughs> in a few days, by the way. Um, no, I thought that this was the guy that you worry if he's David Cobb. I, I thought Evan. That this was the guy. I know. I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's okay. I watched, I watched three games, and I also watched Matt Waldman's breakdown of him. Matt Waldman put him uh, on the C.J. Anderson spectrum. Okay. And I thought that that was pretty apt. I thought that he could also be on the, C- the Samaje Pirine, C.J. Anderson, David Cobb. So you're, bas- you're basically calling him a player that will win on short to intermediate runs. Lean, yes. On Lean, contact. Yes. 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 I thought he was, you know, a grinder inside, big butt, big thighs, tackle breaker, you know. Uh, power back. I, I went back and forth on whether or not I thought he was 
quick enough. But at times I, I wrote I wrote down a couple times pretty good feet for a big man, and then other times I wrote the opposite. Uh, I wrote didn't see special talent, but he, I think he could produce in the right environment. Uh, he consistently added just by falling forward, added yards yep. to runs. Um, and you know I liked him as a receiver in the flat. I thought he made some really tough catches uh, out in the flat. Didn't really see him running wide, you know wide receiver routes or anything like that. I did see a statistic from Pro Football Focus College. Uh, Divine Zigbo led all Big Ten running backs in percentage of carries that went for first downs or touchdowns last year, thirty four percent. I also believe they they charted him as the most yards after contact as well in the Big Ten. Those are very good statistics, you know, and I think that at the end of the day, this guy, is, it's going to be very much determined whether or not he has success by the infrastructure that he lands and whether or not he gets the opportunity and whether or not he stays healthy. Uh, but I am concerned that he could be like the next Samaj P. Ryan or David Cobb. Okay. I'm listening to you. I went back and watched him because, again, the first time I did watch him was early January. And there was not like that much out there on him. You know, it's basically one season. And there were a number of games to me, Evan, that when he had a lane, he had real burst. He had real long speed that he was able to get to that corner or Mm. get to that spot and outrun a lot of people. I think against Purdue, he did that. A couple other games I can point to later on. When he was given that second level, he could bounce off contact at that second and third level and create big gains. Now, those were on some runs. Other times, Evan, when he met someone in the hole or met someone at the second level and was surprised by them, he was kind of taken out pretty easily. There were plenty of middle runs. To me, he had burst. And so, yeah, I'm not going to say he's going to be a volume runner in the NFL, but I do think he can be a productive runner in the NFL, especially on a good team. If he's on a good team, he can be a productive runner. Do I think he belongs? And I think we can kind of have that conversation of the big group now here, Evan. Do I think he belongs with that top three? That to me is Josh Jacobs, David Montgomery, and Devin Singletary. No, I think that they're kind of in a group of their own in this. But do I feel more comfortable than taking him over a Miles Sanders? Right now, I think I do. Yes. And... The reason he's not the combine Evan is because he basically went into the season with like an undrafted grade, I'm assuming by spring Mm -hmm. scouts. Okay. And we know that a lot of the combine invites and senior bowl invites in some ways kind of can go back to what scouts and teams thought of players heading into the year. And so he didn't really break out onto the NFL scene until this season. Hey, you know, and there's like a a group still, you know, that in the football community that says, that 40 times don't matter and, you know, all this stuff. And they may not, you know, you don't want to draw a, a direct line from 40 time and success in the NFL. But guess what? If this, if Divine Zigbo, as you say, has this, you know, sneaky long speed and he goes to the, and he goes to his pro day and he runs, you know, four, five, one or four, four, nine at five, uh, 11, Yeah. Then guess what? People, people in the NFL are going to move him up, and he's going to get drafted higher. And what happens when you get drafted higher? You get more opportunities early, and you also get more more chances to, uh, you know, even if you fail early, you're going to get more chances down the line. So draft position matters. I mean, I think that we can all agree on that. Um, it's just intuitive. Hey, we used a second or third round pick on this guy. We need to give him a chance, you know, before we turn somewhere else. You know, we want this guy to succeed, you know, at the, at the end of the, the year – you know, Ryan Pace, the Bears GM, takes in all, you know, all of his accomplishments, takes it to ownership. Hey, you know, here's why, you know, you shouldn't let my let me go into a walk year here. This is why you should, um, you know, uh, extend my contract, you know, or, hey, if he's you know trying to get a job somewhere else, you know, and, and he's going to know that, you know, he's going to be able to say, hey, you know, I had success with this second or third round player, you know, so all that draft position is critical. And, you know, how divine a Zigbo runs could, hey, be the difference between him being, a, you know, a late third and like a six round pick. Yeah, it's a it's a great point. Just to be honest, like I am kind of biased towards this one, Evan, because I feel like 
it was just someone in the early process. And this is something that like NFL coaches run into, you know, position coaches, like they go from the season straight to the senior bowl. And a lot of times those position coaches fall in love with players at the senior bowl because they're the first ones that they watched all year. Zigbo was kind of the first crush I had in this draft class. One of the first ones, along with Daniel Wise, who plays defensive line, so on and so forth. I, I do think he's going to test well, but I've been wrong in that regard before. So that's why I don't really project that out into the universe. Uh, it's funny, Evan, you and I saw eye to eye here with Josh Jacobs, Montgomery and Singletary. Uh, but we kind of disagree here with Sanders and Zigbo. Am I allowed to ask you how you would rank those first three? No, I'm going to go with Josh Jacobs, number one. And then I'm going to go with... David Montgomery, number two, and I'm going to go with Singletary, number three. But I think that Singletary has more upside Mm -hmm. than either of the first two backs. I think that David Montgomery is maybe the highest floor back, and I think that he is going to be a three-down back in the NFL. Um, I think that Josh Jacobs, I mean, he's he's awesome, but, you know, the the limited sample is a little bit of a concern. but he also may be the first running back drafted. I mean, that's what it looks like so far. But you wouldn't put any of these guys in like that Todd Gurley, Saquon Barkley, um, Christian McCaffrey nope. tier of, of top 10. Ezekiel nope. Elliott. Yeah, me either. Me either. That's Let's good do stuff. it again soon, man. Let's do it again soon. Um, by the way, thank you all. I should mention that this podcast is brought to you by all of our subscribers. So thank you for doing that. I appreciate it. And if you enjoyed this podcast for any moment, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Uh, Evan, thanks so much to all of you. You can, uh, I'm, I'm going to be putting out a podcast every single night, as I mentioned in the intro um, of combine week, just to wrap it up, spin things forward, pick out what the most important pieces are. So be sure to tune into those tune into my conversation with Sigmund Bloom to all of you out there. Talk to y'all soon. See ya. Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.